Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. So I'm going to start this one with a story. Once upon a time, uh, this was, I want to say, early 2021. Um, I woke up having just had a nightmare. Now, I'm not one who usually has nightmares, so this was weird for me. I woke up, and I thought, I just had a nightmare about the coolest monster. And <laughs> this needs to be put to text. Um, and I, being me, did not have the verbal tools to turn this into something usable. Um, now, by absolute sheer coincidental timing, uh, Describe had just started up. And I went to them and I'm like, I have this thing. Help me put this to words. And they did. The monstrosity pursues. Ceaselessly, tirelessly, it towers, a vaguely humanoid silhouette of macabre flesh and askew limbs. Shards of bone and broken ligaments protrude from its bulbous mass alongside putrid pulsating organs. A dozen creatures, humanoid and otherwise, make up its cobbled-together bulk. The stench wafting from it, rotten loam, the aroma of a freshly exhumed corpse. Nearly overpowers you as it draws closer and closer still. In its incessant charge, it pauses only to scoop up the bodies of those left dead and mangled in its wake, incorporating their mass into its own, growing larger with each grisly addition. The Flesh Cobbler, an RPGbot.net nightmare. The scene Flesh Cobbler is brought to you by Describe. Describe. Describe your world. Visit Describe.com slash RPGBot and use the coupon code RPGBot5 for $5 off your first subscription payment. I love that they wrote that on the site. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's link text. I can, I can go find something. Uh-huh. I, I, love, I love the idea that you approach them and are like, guys, I had a dream and I want to talk to you about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like If you click that link, it goes to the tweet. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not making this up. This is the thing that <laughs> happened. Like, <laughs> perfect. Well, everybody, welcome to Spooktober. I'm very excited. Welcome to the RPGPot.podcast. I'm Randall James, your Gabby Flesh. <laughs> Welcome to the RPGPot.podcast. I'm Randall James, your Gabby Flesh Golem, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Gross. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right, Tyler, it's the first episode of Spooktober 2022. What are we doing? <laughs> We're going to talk about monsters and designing them. If you've played D&D or Pathfinder or Cthulhu or like whatever long enough, at some point, your players are going to be like, we have fought every listed thing that has stats. 
Uh, there is nothing new under the sun for us, and you, as the game master, are going to say, okay, I take that as a challenge, and it is time <laughs> to create your own monster. So in this episode, we're going to discuss how you can create a cool monster that works, does what you want it to do, stands out from the pack. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to make some fun. All right, so I suppose the first thing that's worth talking about, we've done episodes on villains, we've done episodes on tactics. Uh, let's kind of nail this down. What do we mean in this case by a monster? Well, as we all know, humans are the real monsters. That's fair. Yes, that's how the story should course. end. Of course. <laughs> but along the way, like, there should also be, like, I don't know, zombies or something. I... Yeah. Um, just simply, if it's got stats and the players are expected to fight it, you can call it a monster. Like, if, if it would appear in the D&D monster manual, it's a monster. There's NPCs in there. There's like completely innocent creatures like flumps and uh, horses. Like oh, horses are not innocent, sir. <laughs> those, They're those devious, nefarious. evil creatures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ba basically, just monster is a shorthand for some creature that the players are likely going to come to, come to violence with. So enemy. Yeah, probably. I mean, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they're friends. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes you dominate them, and then they're your friend by force. Yes, That's true. <laughs> yeah, That's only at higher levels, though. So <laughs> one of the hardest part about putting together a monster for your game is getting the challenge right. And we've talked about this in past. We'll link in the show notes to previous episodes. The way 5e handles this is this idea of a challenge rating, mm -hmm. um, where you should be balancing your encounters across a day based on the... CR of the creatures and the number of creatures being encountered and then how many of those encounters you're going to have. Uh, so adding additional creatures, it isn't linear. You know, two creatures is significantly harder than sequential, sequentially fighting, you know, one creature and then the same creature again because the action economy is working against the players in that case. The good news is there is a tool on RPGbot.net called the Monsterizer that you can use to build monsters to your heart content set the stats, set their attacks, describe ultimately what damage they're going to do, and it will do the math behind the scenes for you of calculating the offensive CR, the defensive CR, and combining those into a CR overall. So you can kind of create the monster you think you want, look and say, okay, maybe this is a little too challenging for my players, I'll dial it back, or this isn't murderous enough, let me crank it up. Uh, and the good news is, you know, so we've talked about the Monster Razor in the past, I think we actually talked about it last Spooktober. We sure did. We started last Spooktober by announcing the Monsterizer. And so we're so starting this Spooktober by announcing improvements to the Monsterizer. What's new, Randall? <laughs> oh, you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so I'm very excited to announce. Uh, by the time this drops, Monsterizer 1.1 will be live on the site. Um, comes with a lot of major quality of life improvements. Um, there's automatic dark mode so if your device is in dark mode it's going to look dark and spooky there's improved import export functionality there's improved controls for building actions for your monsters so like if you need to build an attack like now there's this assisted mode that will generate the the nice markup stuff for you so it all looks pretty in your stat block there's new styles for the stat block format so you can make it look kind of neat uh you can make your stat blocks look like more Korg, because why not uh, That's there's some awesome. other great stuff. We'll link the announcement blog post in the show notes. Um, I have been hard at work on this thing. I'm very excited about it. Um, and yeah, uh, Monsterizer, <laughs> uh, that story that I started the episode with, with the, uh, the flesh cobbler, like I had that crazy nightmare and went to describe and was like, give me a story. 
they're like, here's this text. I'm like, this is gorgeous. I need stats. So I built the monsterizer. Uh, so, hey, um, check our Twitter feed, RPG, B-O-T, D-O-T, N-E-T, and I'm going to be posting monsters all month long, including the Flesh Cobbler. Perfect. And so really the Flesh Cobbler caused all of this. Uh, yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> it all started with a bad dream. Mm. Yeah. It's all good story to start. Um, Let's talk about monsters. Uh, So we have the tool, the monsterizer, um, and that will help you do stats. But monsters aren't just blocks of stats. Like if someone hands you stat block, you can look at it and be like, ah, yes, this is a thing I will fight and do nothing else with. And there's nothing interesting about this creature. But if someone tells you like, this is a griffin. It lives on mountaintops. It likes to sweep, swoop down and eat people's horses. You can be like, okay, there's a story there. Um, and how did this strange horse-eating creature come about? So we're going to talk mostly about the parts of the monster that aren't just the CR and the stats and building and getting math right. How do we make monsters interesting? That's perfect. And I think it's worth just calling out from the get-go uh so there's a fantastic reference at home if you're one of these people who likes to read books uh so cobalt Press's guide to monsters um it's wonderful we're going to refer to it a couple different times as we go through this episode um yeah i think if you're a person wanting to think about how to role play a monster you know how to build lore you know some of the best advice in the book and it's, it's a it's pretty early in the content is don't walk into a situation and say an ogre enters the room, right? That it takes everything away. You know, describe like the first thing that hits you is a foul stench. You feel the floorboard shuddering under your feet as this large monstrosity enters, pus and ooze dripping from its face. It reaches down, pulls out a fang, flicks it over its shoulder, and then readies its axe. And now the party's like, what is this thing? This is terrifying and I don't want to fight it. That's a lot more meaningful to the party than saying, an ogre enters the room. And this is where describe comes in. hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, all these things work together. Like I, I, I will say building the mechanics of a monster, the monsterizer is fantastic and it's going to keep you from going off the rails and either having a TPK or having a dud of a encounter. Describe gives you fantastic content. And even if you don't use exactly what's there, finding something that fits the shape and then twisting just a little bit, but using the description that they're giving you. And I'm going to be honest, if, if it's a monster that's in classic lore, you might just find the monster and find something perfect to use right out of the box. So, uh, Tyler, it appears you have built a backronym for us. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, I love a good backronym, uh, but I promise this time it was an accident. So I don't it's, believe it's an acronym. You. It just fell out. <laughs> it. <laughs> it fell out the back of a truck yes um <laughs> uh, i've done this before with like how to do a thing step by step on the podcast where i've constructed an elaborate backronym for some silly word um no seriously i i started writing down like okay here's things you need to do to build a monster and the acronym came out carpets which is how i can honestly say yeah promise this wasn't a backronym if it was a backronym it would be a cooler word I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Don't believe a word he says. Yeah, like if, if we if we would have dropped uh, tactics, we could have had crepes, and that's you know that's something. Oh, that would have been so much better. Actually, no, that's not how you spell crepes, though. 
No, it had to be carpets. That's no, it. It that, had to be that, carpets. You, what you're describing is craps. There's a D in there. All right. Okay. So real quick, let's just go through the letters so we can explain this ridiculous, not a backronym, I promise. Um, Carpets, C-A-R-P-E-T-S, concept, (laughs) appearance, role, power, ecology, tactics, stats. So it's seven steps, and we're going to go through them all and give a little more detail. But basically, once you've done those seven things, you will have a monster that you can drop on your table and use in your game. And they are, you know, they'll vary in difficulty and like any design process, you won't necessarily go through it step by step, one at a time in linear fashion. Like you're going to reasonably jump around between these decision points as things inform your decisions more. But having that basic framework gives you like, I need to hit these things to really call this thing done so let's jump right into it so we'll start with concept because that is probably where you're going to start coming up with your monster most of the time so concept is just what is this thing what makes it special and interesting and why do i feel like this needs to be a thing so like that i'm going to keep going back to that story i started the episode with like i had a crazy dream and was like that's a really neat concept for a monster. So I'm going to start from there and like build out from that. Um, And when you're considering the concept, like why is this a monster? How is this going to oppose my party? Um, What makes this worth facing as an opponent? Otherwise it can like, it can just be some passive thing. Like if you've conceived a cow, you can just be like, you walk past a cow on the roadside the cow makes a noise and continues eating grass doesn't need stats you haven't met my players but (laughs) i am your players (laughs) that's fair and you would totally murder the cow (laughs) what if there's treasure in one of those stomachs that sausage is its own treasure my friend that's fair that's fair chef's feet for the win well i think speaking personally for myself i think concept is probably the most difficult step um, although I will say that if you're starting with this process and you probably already have a concept in mind, um, because otherwise you can just reflavor a monster that already exists, but maybe you want to use a monster from a folklore that's not, you know, given a lot of attention, like say, uh, African mythology has some really cool, uh, monsters that aren't really in the monster manual. Or there's a fun monster that I've tried to translate to to D and D without success uh, from Australian folklore called a bunyip, which is like a mix between a crocodile and a bear, and it lives in the swamps. Does yes. it drop out of trees on people? No, no it does <laughs> okay, not. It's different. Okay, good. Yeah. That sounds. You know, there's enough real things to be terrified of Australia. I don't think we need imaginary things, but that's just me. Right. I know. <laughs> but apparently we do. And that's why the bunyip is. Okay. So <laughs> I, I want to drag my own concept through this. So we are in Spooktober. Um, I want like an urban setting. Uh, think like apartment building type structure. And they keep finding uh, creatures, you know, humanoids murdered behind closed doors with no ingress or egress point like behind a locked door so they can't figure out how this very violent death happened behind a closed door so what are you thinking for the concept of the monster itself 
Um, so I, I think the concept would be that, it, and there's a lot of creatures in the Monster Manual that can do something like this. Like as long as it has like a one inch diameter gap, it can sneak through. Yeah. Um, so something that can like twist and contort itself. Um, and I, I think in the description, like, I think we've seen, uh, like the, the Japanese iterations of like Ringu or the grudge with like the herky jerky monsters. Cause like, I'm sorry, like I love horror movies when I see those and like all of a sudden your spine does a 180. I'm oh, okay. You have my attention. I'm what <laughs> you mentioned a, the ring and maybe that's a cool concept for, a, for a monster is a monster that attacks people through the TV or an electronic device or something. And that's why there's no ingress or egress point is because they're getting through your electronics. I like that. I like that. So if I'm going to take it to a five E setting, uh maybe it lives on the internet <laughs> that's probably <laughs> it yeah Spelljammer has internet right no that makes sense uh okay, okay yeah maybe uh is it, no i got nothing okay i can't uh, do this if, if we're doing if we're doing it through like so if we want to so if we don't want this to be an urban like modern day urban thing then maybe what we could do is maybe it's getting through the ley lines uh, uh, it's connected to magic itself, and so it's going through ley lines and um, any sort of like, if we're going dungeon punk, uh, where like you know magitech is a thing, maybe if someone has like an enchanted lamp in their room, it's getting in through the lamp. Okay. Oh, and, so like and it pops out of magic items. Yes. And it would make and, players and it, distrustful of magic items. And it's able to go from magic item to magic item, like if they're within a certain range. Okay, I like this. Good. Yep. Done. Okay. Concept. All right, so we've got our concept. A, a stealthy, murdering creature that jumps from magic items, kills people, maybe goes back into the magic item. All right, so someone at some point, probably the players, is going to see these things. So you need an appearance. What does this thing look like? And if you use the invisible stalker as an example, that's cheating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's actually where I was headed, so I'm glad that you called this out, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's made of shadow, and it's spooky. Um, I mean, okay, made of so, shadow is fine. Because well, at least that's something besides just being invisible. Okay, yeah. that's fair. <laughs> um, I, I, I really like what Ash is pitching, and so I kind of want to work on top of this. Like, what, what would be the history of a creature that is essentially trapped in uh in a magic item i'm tempted to almost go to some of the um like the afridi or the genie descriptions okay and also maybe use like a corrupted genie to tag on to that uh something that this kind of reminds me of is uh magic jar um so maybe it was a powerful being, being that's had its soul sort of severed and scattered across the weave and it's constantly trying to find bodies that it can you know take and inhabit but because it's become such a kind of its own thing it's malevolent force of nature um it 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 tries to kill people by like taking out their souls or whatever but it can't it take over the body instead it just has to keep killing trying to find a body that it can take over and come back to the real world Okay, to, I like that. I want to flip it. What if instead it actually burns out the creature? Ooh. Like it, it oh, so can't like it occupy over, them. 
So it takes Maybe. over the body super briefly, burns it out immediately, and then has to bail. Exactly. Oh, if we really wanted to make this creepy, maybe the telltale sign of people being possessed is their eyes are burned out from the back so that they're just, they, the authorities keep finding these eyeless corpses and they don't know how it's happening. Perfect. Boy. Okay, so the, uh, the appearance is like, this, maybe we should have led this episode with some content warnings. Yes, okay. sorry. <laughs> content warning. All right. I uh, fear. Uh, folks over. listening on, there may be some mild body horror, horror apparently. Sorry, I like body horror. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, okay, so we'll, we'll take it back a notch. We'll take it back a notch. <laughs> I'll take it back. I'll take it back. Maybe they just but, have okay, burned so, scars over their body. Okay, so the appearance, uh, like something inspired by like the the genie out of the the monster manual, but when in a creature, um, slightly burning, tinging on the face for a moment. You know, they get and and. Okay, we'll get to this, but maybe in combat they get like three actions, they get 18 seconds, and then they're burnt out. Mm. And then they have to go back to their regular. Okay, we'll do that later, though. Appearance. Nailed it. Yeah, okay, so we have appearance. So it it looks like a smoky, uh, do we want to say like humanoid form? Like, so we're saying it's some kind of creature. Yeah, gaseous. Yeah. So like the smoky, gaseous silhouette of a humanoid like smokes out from a magic item that has been perfectly fine until now. Yeah. Takes o- like floats over a body, takes it over, changes the appearance of the body that it takes over. So we've kind of got two appearances there, like the monster in its true form and the monster while it's doing its monstery thing. Exactly. One more thing. Uh, when it's in its gaseous form, gold eyes. Ooh, oh, glowing gold eyes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. that's 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 very cool. Okay, and okay, so you want the appearance to broadcast the behavior of the monster as well. So, like ogres, big, look a little stupid. Uh, dragons, huge wings, scaly. You know, like you see a dragon, like I know what a dragon does. You see an ogre, I know what an ogre does. Uh, lich. Magic staff, robes, skeleton. You're like, okay, evil spellcaster. Sold. Um, this thing, uh, smoky creature claws its way out of a magic item. You're like, oh, this thing is coming to do me harm. Um, you know, it takes over the body. The body changes appearance and looks a little smoky. You're like, okay, it is going to burn out this body. So you're telegraphing, like, uh, what is its nature? It's going to take over a body and destroy it. And what is its behavior? It's going to come out of that magic item like smoke and come get me. Also, with a, with a smoky-like body, you can enter the orifices of the person, like go through their nose or their mouth and stuff. Yeah, it's a very and, creepy sort of aesthetic. And doors mm. and windows won't stop you because you're yeah. gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I mean, especially if, if the magic item is coming from inside the building. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) the call was coming from inside the house. (laughs) Um, So the next thing we want to consider is the role that our monster is going to play. Uh, So what is this thing going to be used for as a storytelling device? So like your ogre is like it's a big dumb monster that you're going to fight. Your lich is like the plotting, maniacal, powerful villain with lots of minions and magical power and all those things. Um, the dragon is the loot pinata. Uh, no one. All right. <laughs> um, well, uh, for the role, I think it's pretty clear that this is sort of a boogeyman or bogeyman if you're in Britain. Um, 
and it is meant to instill fear of magic items to players. So if you if your players have a magic item that you don't want them to have, <laughs> you can do this. <laughs> um, maybe just a sense of paranoia and fear, and players uh, don't ever expect their items to betray them. Um, and that way, if you're going for like a threatening sort of horror vibe, make it so that even your even your own weapons can't be trusted. Yeah, to, some other pieces that this is adding to the role. So in, in the way that I set this up in the concept, it's ultimately going to play out to at least be a one shot, if not a very short campaign of the mystery of what's happening with all these bodies. And can we please make it stop acutely? Setting up the combat encounter, because the, the way that we're describing this, I imagine even if it's reduced to zero hit points, it probably just forces itself to flee to the nearest uh, magic item, which could be one of your magic items, in which case it's just going to, like, it has to wait seven days and then it comes back out, like, you know, 2d6 days to recover and then it comes back out of the magic item. Um, I, I say that to say you might actually have to create kind of a clever... Um, one, there could be some research to figure out how far away does it have to be before it, you know, it can't flee to anything and then maybe it finally would die. How do we set up a scenario where there's no magic items, which means we're all getting rid of our magic items for the combat? There's a bit of puzzle and setup that I think most parties don't typically have to go through. Um, so as long as you don't let this creature you know, completely murder the party, it could be a lot of fun to be just a recurring villain that you're fighting over the course of a one-shot over the course of a short campaign. Oh, that would be yeah. interesting. Like every time the party thinks that a fight's going well, this thing pops out of one of their magic items. Oh, oof. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. Even thinking of this. That might get a little much. Yeah, maybe the the end goal is to find a way to isolate it in a magic item, either by maybe it can maybe it has a limited range that it can move to a different magic item, and that's how it gets around. Or maybe uh, you have to talk to a wizard and you create you try to lure it into an item that will trap it inside it. And then maybe you have to destroy that item in order to fully destroy it. I think we're also getting to the next part, which is power. Ugh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, next thing, power. Um, how strong does this need to be for our storytelling purposes? So, like, if we if we want this to be an enemy that's capable of facing the party single-handed, like, it needs to be you know, reasonably strong depending on the party's level. Um, since this thing's tied to magic items, you could very reasonably have, like, multiple versions of this creature that, like, go up the rarity. So, like, oh, no, we're facing a legendary one of these things. We're, we're out of here. We're done. Um, whereas if you're facing common ones, like, oh, man, another one of these, like, it pops out, like, ah, I'm smoke. And then you just stab it with your plus one sword. Yeah, I think more generally to talk about power, we we led with the idea of like you should be balancing your encounters for the day. You should be looking at the number of creatures in CR. So so generally, when you're thinking of power, basically have the idea of how much of my resource budget am I going to consume for the day on this creature or this encounter? And obviously, for the one we're describing, this is probably going to be a pretty significant power. But a lot of times, you might just be designing you know a bunch of uh, I don't want to say mundane creatures, but a bunch of creatures that are not you know. You're going to encounter this. I expect the combat to last two rounds and we're going to go on. And I'm using this to set the mood for what this environment is like. Alternatively, going off of what Tyler said about, you know, different weapons uh, have these spirits that have different, you know, power levels. 
what if we stick to the one type or the, the one creature singular because i think it's more threatening if it's just the one creature and it can pop out anywhere what if its power level is based on the rarity of whatever item it spawns from so one of the ways that you could figure out to weaken it is lure it into a common magic item rather than you know a rare <laughs> magic item quick everyone find the worst magic item you can think of yeah uh, <laughs> uh... I like that idea and like that does both things because like it sets it kind of helps set up the story for like how you're going to build the plot around this. It gives you a solution for how you solve the plot arc around this monster. It also defines the power of the creature like you are still going to need multiple stat blocks for this one specific example creature. But like that's real clever Ash. I I like that guys. That's good. Okay so I, I really like that and I think it is what we should do. I want to add one more dynamic to this. So I talked about the idea that maybe it can survive in a creature for a certain number of turns. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, imagine encountering perfectly innocent creatures that this thing possesses, and when it possesses them, it then has that power rating as well. So it isn't that you're going from encounter to encounter, and then this thing is popping out. It's you're going to what would normally be a very safe place, and then this thing is popping out and turning what would be a safe creature into a fairly dangerous encounter. Like, all of a sudden, the court wizard is its victim, and because of how strong the court wizard is, maybe it can survive for up to five rounds of combat before it burns out and is either forced to retreat to the next magic item or forced to take its next victim. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both of those mechanics would let you work this thing in at, like, any point in your campaign, which keeps it cool. Yeah, and, and, and I it, think you could... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was say, I, I think you could do uh, like imagine having a legendary actions table where based on the strength of the magic item that it's in, it gets so many actions against its legendary actions table. Uh, you could you could play the same game with legendary resistance. So you could build it to where like, oh, you're in a common thing. You actually don't get to take one action. And because you only get to take one legendary action, you can't burn the two action or the three action things that you would normally be doing. Yeah, and think about all the dramatic implications that you could have with this creature. Like, uh, maybe your party has gotten really close to cornering it, but it gets away at the last minute, uh, and you can't figure out why. And then your wizard friend who's been helping you with this thing enters, like, how's it been going? And he comes out of the staff and inhabits your wizard friend. Oh. Um, and now it's sort of a race against time to sort of make sure that you... You, you know, you, you save your wizard friend and you get this creature back into its trap. And yeah, I think there's a lot of really cool storytelling, dramatic implications of this creature. Yeah. Do you, do you grapple, but not kill? <laughs> do you restrain you know, them without hurting them? Yeah. yeah. Uh, non-lethal <laughs> melee damage. <laughs> now, uh, now we're talking about like a very specific example of a creature that we're conceiving as we go. But as you create your creature, like it doesn't need to be that flexible or complicated it is perfectly fine to create a zr zero creature like uh randall i think the second game i ever ran for you and the boys um like you're on the floating island there was a tower there were small creatures around you guys ended up fighting arrow hawks which are a monster i imported from third edition uh it's a double hawk that spits lightning and i thought okay these things are like there's going to be like five or six of them. They're going to be a CR zero. These guys are going to carve them through them super quickly. It's going to feel very satisfying. So like I took I took a hawk 
and like made some small tweaks to make it fancy and just kept it at like CR0 or CR18 or something like that. And that's perfectly fine. Not every monster you make needs to be super powerful or super complicated. It's fine yeah. to create those like, I'm just going to use this a couple times. It's going to be quick to kill and then it's done. No, 100%. And I think that almost flips back to the role where I'll say I ran a game recently for some folks who were, you know, everybody but one person was playing their first tabletop ever. Okay. In that environment, the first encounter, they were starting with level four characters because I wanted to be complex enough that they would have fun and feel like they had buttons to push, but not so complex they couldn't manage the character. Um, I had a party of five level four adventurers take on three level, like one half, I think, uh, giant space hamsters. <laughs> and and they rolled through them, right? Like everybody got one round of combat in and then the creatures were dead. And at that point, you know, what was that? What, what were their role? Meta, the role of those space hamsters was to die so that these characters knew what they could do. That was and that's it. a perfectly fine role. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, I think a lot of times in adventures, like, Players like having those quick victories. Like, not every combat session has to be a 40-minute slog of, you know, you know sheer strategery. Sometimes, <laughs> like, you walk in the room, hear the creatures, wow, you mowed through them. Like, I really am getting powerful. I am a strong character. Yeah. I think that's, that's exactly right. You want to have those easy victories along with the more challenging. And, of course, even if it's not an easy victory, sometimes, like, at low levels, those low CR creatures are still a threat. Like if you create a CR five creature and say like, this is going to be basically fodder for my level 10 party. That's perfectly fine too. Like there's a reason the monster manual runs the full CR range. They don't just pile all the cool monsters at CR 10 or whatever. Although a lot of the cool monsters are kind of up there. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, level range of six to 11 is a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, so the next thing you want to consider for your monsters is ecology, which is kind of just a, a shorthand for, like, what is this monster's life like outside of combat? Now, I'm a native of 3rd edition, where the 3rd edition monster manual had a specific entry for each monster that said ecology, and it would say, like, what groups of monsters are you likely to encounter this in so like hobgoblins would be like yeah ecology of a hobgoblin they live in like isolated cities and i'm making this up because i can't remember uh isolated hobgoblin cities they'll probably have some goblins with them that are basically foot soldiers and uh yeah they live in family units or something like that or like ogres will be like either solitary or a family unit of two to four something like that and then monsters will frequently have terrains so, like tigers live in, live in jungles Bears live in forests. Rabbits live on prairies or wherever. Rabbits are everywhere. Can't get rid of them. True story, uh, bro. <laughs> so considering the ecology can tell you a lot about your monster. So our our fictional smoke monster that we're coming up with, the ecology is where does it live? Inside your favorite magic item. A little unusual, but like that tells you a ton about your monster because that's so unusual. Not everything needs to be that unusual it's perfectly fine to say like ah yes uh my my weird uh mutant wolf monster it still lives where wolves live that's perfectly fine yeah i think a lot of creatures that we're going to run into talking about the ecology of them really makes sense like where are you going to find raised skeletons uh you know spooky dark dungeons where previous humanoids have died um it isn't that common to find skeleton you know creepy spooky skeletons walking around a dense urban environment 
because somebody would have killed the skeleton by now. Um, <laughs> yeah, otherwise you're just going to get more skeletons. Yeah. Um, so, but, but there are these creatures. And it's like what we're describing is, is a good example. I feel like liches kind of fall into this too, uh, where each of them are unique enough that you can't necessarily say like what the ecology is going to be. Like they're going to have a layer, but the layer is probably going to be specific to the the monster you're building because let's face it at that level you're building a villain this is not fodder that you may or may not stumble upon in a random encounter table at least i hope not like that's <laughs> you stumble on a lich on the random encounter table in a dungeon turns out the lich is also crawling this dungeon he's not happy that you're here yeah so i was looking for magic items and it looks like you're carrying a bunch but one of them's haunted so i'm out Yep. <laughs> uh, another powerful thing you can do with ecology is dropping a monster uh, so for anybody who remembers the hit mid 2000s tv show lost uh dropping a creature in a place it absolutely doesn't belong uh so lost famously in one of the one of the earliest episodes uh they're on a deserted island they have no idea where they are they can't reach anybody they're trying to figure out like is there any civilization here and all of a sudden, they stumble upon a polar bear. That's wild. And everybody, everybody on the island is like, where are we? What is happening to us? And I think you can do something similar. Like if you're, uh, again, that dense urban environment, and all of a sudden, like you're at a rooftop terrace, and you're having like a beautiful dinner party, and then a shambling mound comes over the, the top of the, the roof and starts like eating guests. What happened here? Like, this is wild. <laughs> they don't belong here. It's like, is it, are any of us rangers? We don't have to be rangers. We know these things don't belong here. Okay, that sets up a story. Like, now there are questions to be asked, and we can explore this and figure out what's happening. So knowing the ecology of the creature, even if it isn't the native habitat that the party is going to be running into them, or how they live in that environment might not make sense, given where the party is currently, there's still interesting storyteller. Yeah, storytelling okay. to be done here. A creature outside of its expected ecology can also be say something about the creature or the story or the circumstances that it's in. Yeah, uh, I mean, a dungeon is a classic place to find creatures outside of their normal ecology, and then if you ever need an answer, a wizard did it. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> what does the ecology of our magic creature? Wizard did it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I think we established it. It was like a humanoid that was stripped of their soul and scattered across the weave. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, lives in magic items. Uh, all it, what it wants is to get out of the magic items because its life sucks. Um, does it need any kind of sustenance, or is it just driven by like I would like to be out of magic items now, please? I think it does not need any sort of sustenance. I think if we were to classify this creature, I would classify it maybe as undead, or I think yeah, undead makes right. I think undead makes the most sense. Yeah, yeah. I either I'm, undead or aberration, like it's kind of all yeah. in between that too. But I would lean towards undead too. But yeah, um, whether or not it needs those basic needs of food, water, and shelter tells you a lot about a creature too. Um, yeah, the, the only thing that I'm trying to think through is like, do you want? to require it to uh to attempt to get into a body every so often as a means of motivating it to present itself to the party for killing in other words if it's able to hide in an item forever and live forever can it just say you know what 
these folks that keep killing me and sending me back to this item are way too difficult. I'm just going to wait a hundred years and I'll try again. I think, I think it needs to come out. I think it's like a compulsion that it needs to eventually come out. I think if it stays too long in a magic item, it starts to um, get negatively affected. I, yeah, okay, I, I like that idea. I like the idea of it being a compulsion too. And like, think about it. If you're an intelligent creature tracked in an item, like you can't go anywhere. You don't have anybody to talk to. You're going to get a little stir crazy. So like that, I, I think we talked about like a 2d6 day cooldown. So that might just be like, it's trying to hide because it doesn't want to die. And if it exposes itself too much, it's eventually going to get caught. So it may just be like, that is as long as the creature can stand to be trapped in an item before it's like, I've got to get out of this thing. Even if it's just for a few seconds, I've got to get out. So like, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's driven by a compulsion it's a different sort of primal need than like, I have to eat or I'm going to die. It's like, I have to get out of here or I'm going to go crazy. And maybe yeah, a little like, crazy already. No, I, I like that. And I'll say like, I, uh, the first time the party interacts with it and sends it back to its item, you know, that was a, a unfortunate coincidence. And the second time, boy, was that frustrating. And from then on, part of the compulsion might actually be like, I'm not going to wait you out. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> well, you know what we're doing now is we're describing its tactics. Oh, oh. sure are. That's the tea <laughs> in the carpets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't believe I made you say that. So, <laughs> literally why I came. So when we're talking about tactics, um, you have to remember that we're you. You just don't. You don't want to just think about the tactics uh, a creature does in combat. You also have to think about how it acts out of combat. Um, so, like for instance, a predator, like a like a wild cat, isn't going to attack a bunch of people um, that that seem pretty strong because that it wants to pick on weak prey. It wants to isolate. It'll stalk the party. It'll wait for someone to fall behind, and then it will strike. Um, with our monster, I feel like it, before the party encounters it, it's weighing in its magic item and it sort of observes the players, figures out uh, who is best to attack, who maybe would go down quicker, um, and maybe it has a preference for magic users because it lives in magic items, so it makes sense that it would target magic users. Yeah, I like that. So, like, if, if it can watch and plan, it might pick its easiest prey or yeah. its most appealing prey, even if that's not necessarily the easiest. What if, uh, okay, one of its, its skills, a tactic, if you will, is that it can steal spell slots for magic users. Yeah. And burn them for energy. Yeah, I like that. I was also thinking of a similar feature where um, the creature uh, takes a power from whatever magic item it is currently inhabiting when it attacks. Um, so maybe it takes like a minor effect from a, from a magic item. Um, if, it ha- if, a, if an item has a major and minor benefit, which most do, it has a minor effect. And depending on how easy we want this thing to do, to be maybe it also takes a if it does that it takes a minor deficit that that magic item gives interesting so like if it pops out of a cursed item it's got something wrong with it or something yeah okay so yeah. like uh 
that's how you get it. <laughs> you put it in a cursed item. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. So, so tactics can tell us a lot about like the creature's personality. So like, uh, Ash, you talked about, uh, big cats, like they, they're hunters. They typically go for weak prey because it's an easy meal. Um, our smoke creature will typically go for a spellcaster because if it can eat spell slots to sustain itself, then it means it it gets to be out of its magic item for longer, potentially, which is good for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like other creatures will, other creatures' tactics should be informed by what that creature wants. Like, what is it motivate? What is its motivation to persist living? Um, so most animals it's just like i need food and shelter and to not be mauled by something bigger than me uh the lich it's gonna be like i would like to kill the party so i can continue doing lich things like vampires have to feed on people to what happens if in 5e if vampires don't eat i don't think it's actually anything i think it's not expounded upon at all (laughs) (laughs) they just they have a strong preference yeah it's a compulsion like they feel compelled to do this thing and can't stop themselves because it is their nature like sometimes that's perfectly fine like vampires need to feed on people and when they're not hungry like what do they do if you take cues from Strahd, it's mess with people oh yeah he's like he's peanut butter <laughs> sorry eat peanut butter what yes yeah, me and peanut butter just you know sneak upstairs get a spoon nobody <laughs> <laughs> I, I i'm done <laughs> strawed in his downtime he's uh freshly feasted on a a party of adventurers who tried to slay him and failed and i was like eh, spoonful of peanut butter sounds good i do yeah. I, I do like the image in my head of strawd like go, coming back to his castle after mocking the party like you will fall or whatever and then he goes up to his cabinet and he takes out a spoon and licks and goes <laughs> No, that hits the spot. <laughs> <laughs> now there's, there's the question of the week. Does Straw prefer crunchy or smooth peanut butter? Oh, he's a smooth man. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. He's very refined. Crunchy would mess up his fangs, like, and it would get into his teeth, and that's you don't want that. You don't want that. When you're intimidating people, you want your teeth nice and clean so that people aren't going to be like, when you're in the middle of your villain monologue, they'll be like, you got something right there. Oh, did I get it? Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yes, I'm going to kill you all. Jokes aside, Strahd is actually a pretty good example. He is the arch villain of the campaign. He is the land, like, incredibly powerful vampire big bad of the entire campaign um and uh i i I think it was jeremy crawford like one of the designers from dnd i watched an interview and they were talking about strahd and like strahd has been through this a bunch of times like curse of strahd is like oh this is just another party coming to kill me it's like ah okay um he's been around long enough that at this point he's playing with his food like he incredibly incredibly old incredibly powerful nothing feels like a serious threat to him so this is literally a game for him so his tactic is like i'm gonna drag this out and get as much enjoyment out of this as i absolutely possibly can or i'm gonna go just absolutely bonkers so like this is a game for strahd 
and that informs his tactics. It's never like, oh, you guys are level one or whatever. Like, I could come down and just kill all of you in in plain sight of anyone, and no one's going to stop me. I'm Strahd. Uh, but it's more fun for him to drag it out, which informs his decisions, which, yeah, cool detail. It's also more satisfying when the players work really hard to get to the top of their ability, and then you can kill them. Uh, yeah. They think they have a chance, and it's like, ha, you're so naive. Yep. Uh, now, now I will discard you. Like yesterday's yeah, so, trash. So we, we recently did an episode where we spent a lot of time talking about tactics. We will have a link in the show notes. Um, but yeah, the punchline is kind of thinking about what motivates the creature, and then how intelligent are they? Are they smart enough to recognize the risk to their life? And do they value their life enough to run away? And then what version of runaway would they follow? Uh, versus a lot of creatures really will fight to the death if, if, if they're cornered in that situation. So using the tactics to manage this, I'll, I'll say for our creature, I, I feel like I've had a little bit of an innovation of, of some of the skills that we're talking about. So it only kills the victim. Let me start over and explain this a little bit better. I okay. Start from the top. Okay. Um, it must first possess a victim. If it is defeated within the victim, the victim survives, and the creature can then enter into any magic item that creature has attuned. Oh, so not only does it want to target magic users, it wants to target magic users with a magic item attuned to it. Yes. Okay, so our apartment complex where it's, a, where it's been murdering people is now a school of, like a, a wizard school, most likely, because there's abundant magic items and people attuned to them. Perfect. Or, or maybe maybe it's candle keep. Like that could be there some you fun. Go. Perfect. Okay. Um. So once it, you know, maybe it can survive in the magic item for a certain amount of time. When it reappears, it cannot enter that magic item again, and that magic item is now broken and no longer magical. Oh, so it also kills the magic item. Yes. So you as a magic user, if you become possessed with this, one, you really wish it would leave you alone. But two, the only way you can survive is to keep attuning new magic items as your old ones get broken. Because eventually, if you run out of magic items, you're going to die. If you can educate the party quickly enough, it kind of becomes this thing of, okay, we know it comes out every, you know, 2D6 days, or maybe it's 2D6 hours. Do, you know, have some fun with this. Figure out what makes sense for your story you're trying to tell. Uh, but there's actually a race against time once it enters the party. Yeah. Oh man, what a way to uh, to tell your players that you've given them too much loot. Yeah. Sorry about this. We, we did talk about we did do an episode about giving players too much power yeah. too quickly. And, and now we've done one about taking it away. Yeah. yeah. Not 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 a way to to make your players mad at you at all. <laughs> So we have our creature. We've gone through most of the carpet. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I said that. Uh, the very last thing you need to do is the stats. Now, I, I always save this one for last because, like, you want to have a really good idea of what your creature is going to do, like, what it's going to be like before you start putting it to numbers. Because, like, you can make the numbers fit whatever you need, especially with the monsterizer. Um, so, yeah, save the stats for last. Um, and now as I'm staring at our show outline, I realize we've forgotten to include naming the creature. I was mm. thinking of that too. Um, uh, Knarpets? Carpents? 
it, it's not a great acronym. It's not. You know, I've 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 always thought as a name is just another stat in the stat block. Is what I was. There saying. you go. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Eight, 18 strength name gorilla. Yeah, exactly. No, we're same page. What do we not want to name our creature? What? Sorry. What do we not want to name it? No. What do we want to name it? Oh. <laughs> Boy, I mean, there's a lot of things up. we don't want to name it. <laughs> We'd be here Steve, all night. for instance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe not Steve. Pretty sure he had boots. We could go with uh, a bogger. I think that's already a monster. That's a Harry Potter it? thing, isn't it? Yeah. No, I mean, it's from British folklore. Oh. Uh, it's well, kind of like, it's kind of like a boogeyman. Harry Potter. Isn't Harry yeah. Potter? <laughs> that's all of British folklore. <laughs> <laughs> Do that again, I bet. I dare you. <laughs> That's all of British folklore is just Harry Potter. <laughs> Ooh, I no. can already see the angry Twitter comments. <laughs> Send all of the hate mail to. <laughs> Gosh. Ash, what was your email again? Quick. <laughs> Gosh, we have to name this thing. This is always the hardest part for me. It is. Coming up uh, with a monster. That's the hardest part for me, too. I think Randall I mean, has figured it out. No? Oh, okay. Well, let's think about, like, what would people call it in the world? Like, they see this thing come out of a, a magic item and murder people. Um, uh, Maybe it's uh, Attunement Assassin. Ooh, I got it. Mage's Bane. Yeah, okay. I, I like that. I think that's the name they should find in a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, they're doing research and, and they find it. Oh, this is lame, and I didn't mean for it to be. Okay, so what I'm, th- what I'm thinking about, like, how, how would it get named by the party? They would see it come out of an item, and whatever that first item that it comes out of, you know, let's say it was like a magic watch. It'd be like, it, you know, a watch shadow or a watch wraith or something like this. Or, like, if it was a magic ring, it'd be a ring wraith. Ah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was, I had that internal reaction. Now you came with me. Uh, but, but, yeah, I think, like, Mage's Bane... That's good, and I think that is the name. Eventually, it's like, oh, you found it in a book. I promise. It's called a Mage's Bane. Uh, yeah. Solid. And, right. and for building stats, like, we've talked about the different actions we wanted to be able to take. We've talked about having, like, a legendary action batch. Um, we know what the basic damage would be. We understand it has two forms, uh, and you might be combating in its uh, pure form, the shadow with the golden eyes, or you might be uh, fighting it when it's into a monster where it would have some additional actions on top of those monster stats. Uh, no matter how you want to handle that, I mean, this is where I would say, just go to the monsterizer, plug in whatever you are trying to do. Um, we'll, we would build up and say, okay, it has these actions. Uh, it gets to burn spell slots. Congratulations, that doesn't appear in offensive CR, defensive CR, but it's sure going to suck. And yeah, have a good time with it. Yeah, I think this monster is done. Yeah, I don't know why I put so much emphasis on the word done. Like, I was <laughs> tying it all back together. I wanted to say something clever, but it ended up just being me just saying, uh, it's done now. It's done. I, th- I think we can roll up the carpet on this one. There you go. Uh, That's better. Beautiful. <laughs> all right. Our, uh, we have a question of the week this week. Our question of the week this week comes to us from Random. Hey, Random. Hey, buddy. 
How do I best incorporate party members that are of a race that would be commonly reviled by the community we're in? Um, I would say you got to be careful with this, Um, especially nowadays with the world that we're in. Um, I would, I, I I think that if you're going to do something like this, um, definitely have a conversation beforehand and talk about veils and lines. Because uh, for some people who may have experienced discrimination in their lives, and it doesn't just have to be a person of color, uh, I know that some of my LGBT friends have experienced that, um, make sure that people are okay with it. Because people people uh, want, want to have a good time, and they don't want to have discrimination in their fantasy game. Um, that being said, if you are going to go this way, uh, it is a trap to go the uh, everybody is just overtly racist and hateful to you because a lot of writers do that and it's lazy and it makes the racism an individual problem rather than a cultural societal problem. So maybe make, make the racism subtle. Let's say <laughs> uh, maybe the party is refused service, but they're not told why uh, as long as the person is in the group. Or maybe prices at certain places are higher. Or maybe people just won't make eye contact with the person or will only talk to other party members. Um, yeah, because if you just have overtly racist people, it's going to come off as forced and kind of absurd. Um, but yeah, just be, be careful with this is what I would say. Yeah, I'd say definitely talk to the player about how they want to handle it before the game starts. Line mm-hmm. conveils, great idea, Ash. Um, it it may be a thing where the party just agrees, like, look, we just want this to not be a factor. Can we just hand wave this? And that's a perfectly fine answer. Um, you can come up with a story reason why it's why that's the case. Um, if you do want that experience of like, I am a stranger in a strange land. Like you don't even necessarily have to do that with a person of a different race. It could just be like this human is from the opposite side of the continent and our cultures are very different. So there's some friction here. Like, yeah. Um, just handle that sensitively, discuss it with your party. Again, use safety tools like lines and veils, make sure everyone's treated respectfully. Um, and if it ever gets boring or frustrating feel free to change the answer and just be like okay we wanted to try this we thought it would be neat it's kind of just a pain let's just be done with it and that's perfectly fine Mm -hmm. yeah i think building a world where it's like you know oh you know we're a we're a group of humans and you know this town hates elves and elves aren't welcome here like that it's probably going to suck if it's not like a very isolated thing that you encounter and you're like, okay, now we can move on. I, I think where this gets more interesting, I'll give two specific examples. So one, we played the Icewind Dale campaign where uh, Tyler's character was uh, Bugbear, Bugbear Grills. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I feel like we joked around about it for a little bit. Like we got a couple funny looks, but, but the idea there is basically, oh, these people have been helping us. They're building renown. And so instead of being shocked that there's a bugbear running around town, which actually the bugbear had been there longer than any of the rest of us, <laughs> eventually it's like, it's the party of adventurers here to help. And so I think if you're trying to do this in your story, having maybe it's a little bit of an issue up front and maybe it's the subtle things that Ash brings up, but overtly telling the party after a couple levels and after they've done a few things that have like build renown, that it's transitioning from like, you know, oh, 
what is that that's coming this way? It's transitioning to instead, like, oh, the heroes are here, and this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to, I don't want to discourage anyone from trying this because I think really beautiful stories can be told of people uh, making an assumption about a character because of their race or, um, or you know, species. Let's say, uh, and then that person over uh, overcoming that uh, that bias or that prejudice because of the things that the party does for them. Um, and they sort of come to question that. And I think you can make really powerful stories that way. Um, if you're uncomfortable with doing like uh, a race type of situation, um, something that I use in my games is profession-based discrimination. So for instance, in a lot of my games, mages are kind of distrusted uh, or uh prejudice against because you know they're basically walking nuclear weapons um (laughs) so yeah a lot of people are like i mean in the same way that a person who is carrying a gun is going to get some funny looks or maybe is uh people are going to be distrustful of that person someone who has literal power at their fingertips especially a culture that's been educated that all mages eventually go bad they make deals with devils or they become liches um, look at uh, the Dragon Age setting for a good example of how to handle that. Uh, mages are uh, basically second-class citizens in that world or basically imprisoned. And anybody who is not imprisoned is either hunted or, like, you know, um, highly, uh, highly scrutinized, sort of like the witch hunts and stuff like that. So I think with professions, there's a lot less of, like, emotional stuff that gets wrapped up in there um obviously it can cross that line for some people which again is why you have the lines and veils discussion um but i think it's a lot a lot less complicated feelings come up in regards to profession rather than uh race yeah the the other two examples i'll give so uh tyler uh, wrote the book monstrous races where you might literally be playing monsters from the monster manual i think 100 percent. like if you're engaged in that like just ask the party like hey do you want to have a little bit of fun with the fact that you're like a group of beholders wandering in a town trying to solve problems. <laughs> um, and, and I think like, don't let it be dark. Let it be funny. Um, yeah, for sure. In, in, you know, for, for uh, first party content, the dare cool, like literal undead. Imagine being a bunch of end dwarves thinking like, Hey, let's walk back into a dwarven kingdom could be an issue. And there probably will be some discrimination. And you're like, no, it's great. Like a, yeah, uh, sure. We want to eat living people, but yeah, it's fine. Hey, we're here for a good time and a long time. <laughs> don't hey, don't worry. We'll have you for dinner later. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, I say I, this to say, like, I think you meant third party content, not first party. So that cobalt press. I did. I did mean third party. <laughs> Just so people aren't like, where are Derek Cool and the. They're somewhere. I've got to find them now. And it's like, no, I cobalt press. They make cool stuff and we like them a lot. Yeah. All hail the leisure Illuminati. <laughs> I'm Randall James. You'll find me at amateurjack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur. I'm Tyler Camps. You'll find me at rpgbot.net, Facebook and Twitter at rpgbotdotnet, patreon.com slash rpgbot. I'm Ash Eli. You can follow me on Twitter at Graven Ashes, where you can also find the link to the first game that I'm running, first start playing games called Escape from the Vanishing Halls. 
If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on rpgbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to RPGBot.content, content, polls for future content, and access to the RPGBot.discord. You'll find us at patreon.com slash RPGBot. Oh, this is going to get weird.